Well, we're in week three of our series on um, John the Baptist. Let's give a hand to Lodi who's watching and those online. Let's see, we've got uh, Shirley in Lake Alzabella, Joanne in Stockton, Mark in South Carolina, and we got uh, my, my, my brother-in-law, Nora's in Texas. So um, I'm glad that, that you guys are here. Welcome to Lodi. Week three, as we start talking about his message, John the Baptist. Again, every gospel account records John the Baptist, but again, most of us don't know that much about who he is and what he did bring in bringing forth the Lord. Now, at the beginning of this, we said everything in the story of John the Baptist evidenced the mighty intervention of God. From his birth to parents who were way too old to have kids to the angel announcement, Last week, we talked about his wilderness experience, that time in the wilderness, we said, it is not a waste, that it's often in the wilderness where God reveals himself to be enough. And we're going to keep cycling back to that question over and over again. John fulfilled his purpose, his call on his life. Are we fulfilling ours? And again, we'll ask that question as we work through the passage today. And it's interesting, John is kind of a, really a study in contrasts. Because you have John who's in the wilderness and then all of a sudden publicly comes out calling out for repentance. So 20 years of silence in the desert and then his call to prepare the way for the Lord. Um, he was a priest. He was raised as a priest. He was in the priestly line, but he came out as a prophet. And he wasn't like the Pharisees or the Sadducees, very well dressed, very proper, very secure in what they were saying and what they were doing. John came stirring things up. He was a man that said it like it was. He didn't really care what anyone thought of him. I love how one commentator, when I was studying, says this, from an obscure family with a strange lifestyle, he established his ministry squarely in the middle of nowhere. You don't begin ministries that way. That's not how you start a church. All right, you don't start a movement out in the wilderness, but that's where John was. He was right on, the, right on the edge, but people were drawn to him. People were drawn to a message, uh, and I, I honestly, I don't know if John the Baptist would be welcome today. I guarantee you, if you saw him on the street crawling for repentance, have you guys seen the guy with the sign, repent, repent? Do you guys, I mean, you usually take a different way. You don't want to catch eye contact. All right, because they, they may say, I remember the first time at Fresno State, there was a guy, it was a past preacher out there calling for repentance. Repent, repent, and I caught eye contact. I was just a college student, man, and he did not stop looking at me, all right, the whole time, and I was nervous, and I was like, what, just look at somebody else, man. Again, this is not a message then or today that's very popular. This is not politically correct, then or today, calling people to repentance. And I don't know how welcome John the Baptist would be in our churches. I don't think he'd have too many speaking engagements booked because he, he was like Billy Graham. Billy Graham had a simple message and he preached the same thing, different places. He didn't stray from that. I mean, so... John the Baptist, and, and really the main idea from John the Baptist today is this. John the Baptist loved God above being liked by man. I think sometimes we may flip that. We want guys, people to like us. So 
do we pull back on the message? Do we pull back on what we have to say? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today. We'll hit a couple other passages, but primarily in Luke chapter 3. As we talked about his birth, as we talked about his desert time, and now he is entering public ministry, which only guys lasted six months. Six months. And then he was put in prison for a year. So this is a short-lived ministry. It went one which, you know, we see someone who dies young or someone in the ministry dies. Oh, what a waste. Not if you fulfill your purpose. If you've done what you were called to do, again, that timing when God calls us home, that's up to him. That's not, that's not our call. Again, you're here today, you're taking breath, you, 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 you got dressed and you're here. So therefore, as I say almost every Sunday, God's not done with you yet. He's not finished. There's still something that you are called to do. John just wasn't that long. Yet, Jesus said there was no one born greater of woman than John. Luke 3, starting verse 1, Luke He's a doctor, but he's also a historian. So when he writes Luke in the book of Acts, which are really you know, one book and two sections, he's a historian. He did not know Jesus. He never met Jesus. And so he's doing the research. So when he writes, he usually gives us a lot of background, which he does in verse 1 and 2. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, and he starts listing people. I'm not even going to say the places and names because I'll get them wrong and then I'll get corrected. And Anyways, so you had all these players in place, very powerful players in place, from religious to political, and John comes on the scene and he's preaching and people are drawn to this. You got to understand that, they, that, again, Israel had not had a prophet for 400 years. And so now there's a prophet claiming to, to be preparing the way. And all these questions is, who is he, who is he, who is he? And if you put your finger there, maybe just skip over to John. Don't lose Luke. In John chapter 1, when he talks about it, there's a whole contingent from the religious leaders that come out to question John. Verse 1 says, now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites. I remember John was raised in the household of Zechariah. He was in a priestly line. So these are his kinfolk. These are probably maybe some people he knew or at least knew his father. And they were there to ask him the question, how did you, he did not fail to confess that he was not, I am not the Christ. Again, the time was ripe. There, there had already had been people claiming to be the Messiah, follow me into the wilderness, and they all failed. So there's this, this is setting of who's going to, is it going to happen now? Is it going to happen now? Now we have a prophet out in the wilderness. Crowds are gathering. Are you the Christ? He says, I'm not the Christ. Then they ask him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Even though Jesus said, he was like Elijah. He wasn't Elijah kind of reborn. He was in the spirit of Elijah because Malachi talked about Elijah returning. And we were talking about the Jewish Seder last week. Empty chair for the prophet Elijah. So are you Elijah? No. I mean, he would never claim, even though he was told by his dad that was going to be true. What we'll find today, man, John was a humble dude. Maybe 20 years in the desert makes you that way. All right? But there was nothing that was drawing attention to himself. Are you a prophet? The, pro the prophet. 
Again, back to the passage in Malachi. No. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And throughout this time, you've got the Pharisees who were the law keepers, the, the, the rule makers. They would figure out how far you could walk within an inch on the Sabbath day. That was the Pharisees. But then you had the Sadducees. And the easy, easiest way I've always remembered who the Sadducees was, see, they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. See, that's how I remember. Right? <laughs> I heard it the first time. I won't forget that, ever. All right? They were sad. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in afterlife. I don't, they just believed in money and just their position of being kind of givers of truth. So you had these two groups that were corrupt, that were legalistic, they were hypocritical, and Jesus didn't waste any words on them, but nor did John the Baptist. And his message, when it said there in verse 2 and 3, the word of God came to John, son of, and, and Luke, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sin. Repentance, as I said earlier, not a popular message because repentance is about change. Repentance is about turning around. He didn't preach anything else. He didn't say, hey, if you come out next week, I'm going to do you five, five easy steps of being a good, righteous Jew. Or uh, maybe the week after, I'm going to start a series on uh, Darius and Daniel and that, Nothing. It was repentance, 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 calling people to change, which means doing a 180, which means you're heading in this direction. You need to turn and go this way. Over and over again, people will ask the question, is repentance first or faith? Which way is it? Do you have faith first and then you repent, or do you have your repentance and faith? Guys, this is basically two sides of the same coin. Repentance stands for its desire and choice to turn to God. From sin, okay? And the faith for it is desire and choice to turn to God. Repentance means I'm going to change. But if it's not then turn to God, I mean, there are plenty of people who say, I'm going to change. How many times have you heard someone maybe who struggles with alcohol or drugs or some addiction of some kind or some problem, I'm going to change. I'm not going to do that anymore. So they say they're not going to do it anymore. But they don't turn to anything else and then, then they're quickly to repeat that. Repentance is both repenting and faith that you're turning away from sin, you're turning away from this direction, and then you are turning and placing your faith into God. They go both hand in hand. But to confess your sins, to repent and confess your sins, again, in today's world, that's not politically correct. Because we can't even call things sin anymore. I mean... You watch the talking heads. You even watch some of these pastors on TV. They get, when they're, they're trying to zero on what sin is, they, they will consistently say, well, deep down, deep down inside, we're good people. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're sinful people to the very core. Every one of you are sinners. My little grandchild are baby sinners, all right? And the, the, they're all sinners. Every single one of us are. But you can't say that. You can't call sin, sin today to be politically correct because you're called out. No, you know, and, and that's the thing. He was calling people to repent and to confess their sins. 
This is a thought that hit me. First John 1 John 1.9, one of the first verses I ever memorized. If we confess our what? Plural. And here's the deal. Sometimes, and I'm just guilty, that when we pray, let's say we lead someone to Christ, confess your sin to God. Say you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I don't know if we're supposed to stop there and start making a list. Confess your sins. Let's be specific. Because sin is not just, I love this phrase, excuse nothing, explain nothing, omit nothing. Do not speak of mistakes of judgment, but of choices of the heart and will. It's not about, well, I made a bad decision there. Yeah, you're a sinner. That's why you made a bad decision. Again, that's not popular. Because we want to ease into this. John was not about popularity. Again, he was more concerned about what God thought of him than what man thought of him. And when we confess our sins, sins, because that means we're taking an inventory. Not, you know, I, you know, I, I slept yesterday, God. You know, well, you know me, well, I'm only human. No, it's taking responsibility. That, that's the part yeah, that is missing when somebody confesses, where's the remorse? Where's the, are you saddened that you got your hand caught in a cookie jar? Is that why we're hearing about this? Or do you realize what this sin has done in your relationship with God and you're coming remorseful? Guys, that's about back to the attitude of the heart. Um, and he was calling for change. And baptism... I mean, we just had a baptism here uh, last week. Awesome. I love baptisms. You know, I mean, we probably should have put the first two people, three people at the end because there was not a dry eye type thing. Uh, but I love baptisms. But understand, baptisms is not just a Christian thing. It really was a Jewish thing. A lot of religions practice baptism. Baptism, it was a way to identify publicly with whoever your name you're getting baptized with. That's why we say we, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But for a Jew baptism, Jews didn't get baptized. Only if you were a Gentile wanting to become a Jew, you got baptized. Because they believed you had to wash all those sinful characteristics of being a Gentile off before they would allow you to become a Jew. But John broke all those things. He was baptizing everybody. He didn't care about that. And that's what, that's what stirred it up with the religious leaders. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? You can't be doing this. And that was a sting against the Jewish religious leaders. Because, man, you've got Jews going in there and being baptized with water. But one comes greater that will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In verses 4 and 6, it says this, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And both Matthew, Mark, and John end right there. Only Luke continues with verses 4 and 5 of Isaiah. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way is smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. That sounds familiar. We use that passage when we're talking about Revelation. When there will be no mountains, when there will be no islands, everything, because there will be nothing that will block your view of the salvation, the Son of God who's going to come 
He was preparing the way. So make the valleys, fill in the valleys, knock down the mountains. Nothing is going to block the Son of God and his approach. And that's what John's job was. I'm here to prepare the way. So no one is not, no one can't miss. They just can't see him because everything's flattened. It's right here in plain sight of who the Messiah is. Verse 7 says, John said to the crowds coming out of that were being baptized by him. So here's the crowds, the religious leaders too. You brood of vipers. Not how you usually start a conversation off, you know, if, if you want to win friends and influence people. Uh, that chapter is not found in that book. Uh, because you don't start off a conversation with saying, you brood of vipers. Now, how many hate snakes? Raise your hand. I know some of you. All right, all right. So if you, if you call someone a snake, I mean, there's, there's some heat behind that because just the thought of a snake, you're, you're, some of you just want to leave because I asked you if you didn't like snakes. But understand, these are poisonous snakes. This is a brood. He says, you guys are a family of snakes. You guys are deadly sons of serpents. Okay. You usually won't hear, preach it, brother. You know, let, let, keep going. Then he was calling out to the crowds. Because he says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children from Abraham. He already took away their defensive act. Well, we're children of Abraham. We're, we're safe. No, you're not. God can raise sons of Abraham from these rocks. Repent, you brood of vipers. You group of snakes. How dare you? And when it says here, you know, who warned you of the, to flee the coming wrath? Even Jesus used those same words against the religious leaders, a brood of vipers, warning them of the coming calamity, the coming burning hell that they could face. And understand, when they escaped the flames, farmers then, as farmers today, now that, you know, it's probably the state of California, it's not, it's not politically correct, you know, for our ozone to light an old cornfield on fire and burn it off or the rice fields on fire. But that's what they used to do. They, they would just burn it down, till it up again, and plant over it. But what would happen in the fire is those brood of vipers would start heading for safety, but they were consumed for the, by the fire. And that's what he's saying. You brood of vipers, who, who warned you to flee from the flames that are coming? How can you escape the flames thinking that your judgment, you're relying on your good deeds, you're relying on that you're a Jew, that will not save you in the end. And he was calling them to beware of the wickedness that they, that they came, came with. Verse 9 even goes farther. He says, the axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree, tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. Does that sound familiar, what Jesus talked about too? If a branch does not produce fruit, it's cut off, thrown in the fire. And the thing is about the ax is already at the root. It's not saying, hey, I've got the ax sitting here at the root. It's, I've already began, I've swung the ax. It's right there at the root. 
This tree's coming down. I'm knocking this. I mean, that's how close you guys are to the judgment time. And so, you, again, you have to picture this. And this is, this is John talking about Jesus. He's coming. The axe is ready. I mean, it, judgment is going to take place. And Mark tells us as these crowds are coming out, you had the religious ones, you had general crowds and the specific ones. And, and Luke 3, verse 10, he says, what should we do then? This is what the crowd's response is. He's calling for repentance. Is he saying judgment? Is he saying the ax is at the root? He says, what should we do, the crowd says. His answers are simple and practical. Verse 10, John says, answers the crowd. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with the one who has none. And the one who has food should be, do the same. Hey, if you're repenting, then you're going to have a change of heart. You're not going to just consider yourself. You're going to look at somebody else who has a need, whether it's food, whether it's clothing, because that's a change of heart by your actions. You're not consumed with yourself. You're consumed with other people. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Tax collectors weren't loved then just as they're not loved now, all right? You get something from the IRS, you automatically pucker, and you go, oh, what a, oh, man. I have never heard it. Hi, my name's, my name's Sam, and I work for the IRS. I've never heard anyone introduce themselves, other than if you're in trouble probably, with them that introduce themselves as tax collectors because that puts a smile on nobody's face. And back then, a tax collector, if you were a tax collector, Rome would say, we got to collect taxes. We need someone to collect the taxes. And they would reward that, that job to the highest bidder who said, I will give you this much on top of the taxes. And so that tax collector would not only have to collect the tax, he'd also have to cover his expenses, but then he'd also have to live so he could tax whatever he wanted. So these guys were not lovable, likable people. And to the tax collector, they said, what should we do, teacher? Don't collect any more than you are required to. Now, what's interesting here? He doesn't say, quit your job, you scumbag who's working for the government. He didn't say that. He says, do your job with honor and integrity. Don't collect more than you're required to. Change. Guys, you know, they talk about three conversions of a person. There's the heart, there's the mind, and then there's a the wallet. And usually the wallets always last. All right? I'll give my time. Well, you want money? Hey, hey, hey. I mean, and he's talking change. Don't collect so much. There has to be a change here. In verse 14, then he talks to the soldiers. Now, we don't know if these are Jewish soldiers or if these are Romans. Most likely Jewish soldiers. But then some of the soldiers ask, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Do your job honorably. Don't use your position and force that to take advantage. Be content with the pay that you already receive. Guys, he's talking about change. He's talking about, you were once this way. Repent. This is how you used to live. Now you need to switch this way. You need to turn away from that. And these are the things that you can do to show that the repentance is real. 
Again, he doesn't tell the soldiers, quit your job. He just says, in your job, live this way. As you walk around in, in relationship, in community, in your neighborhoods, in your job, live this way. Because that's showing that something has changed. Something I wrote down this morning as I was going over my notes was, you know, if there's not a change, maybe there just hasn't been a change. If all you have done when you said, well, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus, is the only change has happened is that now you're busy on a Sunday morning, or you, you go to a like group, or maybe you give some cash to church. If that's all that has changed, then I don't think, guys, there's been a change. You just added something. You become like the Pharisees and the oh, just checking boxes. A change when true repentance is there is that I was heading in this direction, and I'm no longer walking that way. I'm putting my faith in God. How should I then act? How should I then live based upon that? There needs to be a change. Verse 15 says, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. The religious leaders were wondering that. And now the crowd is wondering that. John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful then I will come. The thongs of sandals I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. John's opinion of himself <laughs> was so low. I mean, everyone called him a prophet. He didn't read it. Are, are, you, are you the Christ? No, no. I, I, baptize, I baptize with water, but someone has a better baptism. Someone who's coming who's more powerful than I am. Someone who is coming that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now understand in the Jewish culture at that time, if you were a teacher of the law, let's say you were a rabbi, your students didn't pay you. What they did was they would serve you as, as a servant would. That's how they would pay in kindness back for you taking the time to teach them. But this was a statement that, was, that they believed in. The rabbinic statement says, every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher except loosening the sandals of his thongs on his sandals. You can do everything else a servant does, but you're not going to do that because in the Jews... Only Gentiles, slaves, and servants could do that. It was too low for a pupil to do it. It was too low for any Jew to do it. It was only for the Gentiles to do it. And here's John saying, I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. Guys, the humility. Again, I guess 20 years in the desert is a good teacher. Or he just saw himself in light of who God was. Because that's usually, once we get a picture of who God is, that's why when, you, again, I've been reading through the Psalms and over and over again, 
when it talks about the enemies fearing God because God is showing himself off. And if you don't follow him, you better be fearful of him. All right? Again, well, Jesus is love and all that. Yeah, he is. But he's also the judge. It's coming. And John always saw him in light of who he stood, his view of who he was before God. Even though when Jesus talked about him, there's no one greater than John. Oh, he was a prophet. What did you go out to see? I mean, we'll get to that next week. But constantly, John was lowering himself because he knew he was just the spokesperson. He was just the signpost for the coming Messiah. Guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a signpost too. That's your job is to point point to the Messiah. He knew his position of how small he was. Even David, who am I that you are mindful of me? Because once you begin to grasp who God is and what God is, that's when you begin to shrink in the shadow, but then it's God who lifts you up. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time. John truly was the epitome of that. Verse 17 and 18 says, the winnowing fork is in his hand. He's talking about the Messiah here. He's Again, he's the preparing the way. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again, how they, they would take the grain, they'd take an ox, and an ox would go in a circle and crush the grain, and what it would do, it would separate the chaff from the grain, the hull of it. And after that was done, they would come out with a winnowing fork, would scoop up, what was on the ground and throw it up in the air. If you've ever seen that in some of the old time movies, then the chaff would blow in the breeze and the wheat would land on the ground. The wheat was gathered, put in the barn, and the chaff that was all gathered, that was pushed over the side, would be burned. And this is what he's saying about the Messiah. Again, Jesus is love. But he's talking about judgment here, guys. I mean, Again, it's not popular today. How many I just can't get into God who judges and God. You know, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. No, he's not. You can't read Revelations to find that. You can't read the Gospels and find that. It's coming. And he says, guys, it, he's doing it right now. And this is what's going to come. Verse 19, but when John rebuked Herod and the patriarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done. Herod added to them all, and he locked them up in prison, which is next week, because he loved God more than he did love man. He, was, he didn't care if you're an unbeliever. He didn't care if you were a Jew. He didn't care if you were a religious leader. He didn't care in politics. He spoke the truth, exactly what God told him to do. And he spoke of repentance. Repentance is not a one-time event, guys. I mean, that's why 1 John 1, 9, it, it's written to the church. It's not written to, if you're not a Christian, apply this verse. It's to us, us sinners, us who mess up a lot, that it, we are to 
to realize, I mean, when repentance happens, when we see sin as God sees it, how God views sin, Romans 3, 23, for all sin and for all sorrow, glory of God, every single one of us has a sin problem. Romans 6, 23, when we realize that, that that sin leads to death for the wages of sin, what you get in return, what you get paid for because of your sin is death, but God's free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think that's part of to realize that we become pretty flippant towards the sin because it can't separate me from God because I have forgiveness in Christ. But much like today, and I always ask this when I'm, when I'm sharing the gospel, we're coming to the sin part, and I, I talk about sin. I said, hey, especially if it's cloudy outside, is, it, is, it, is the sun out today? And they look up, no. The sun's not out today? No, Tim, it's cloudy. Are you telling me the sun's not up today? Because I want it. The sun's always up. It's clouds that get in the way. And until those clouds are moved, I'm not going to experience the full force of who God is in my life. And when I have unconfessed sin, that puts that cloud. I mean, that's why when we talked about in the wilderness, sometimes, you know, the wilderness time is a, is a judgment. It's a discipline that God's trying to get our attention. Do we have unconfessed, unconfessed sin in our life? Have we just blown it off? Or have we been very specific, not admitting anything, not, not, not just, well, you know, you know, it wasn't really that big of a deal, God. Yeah, it was that's when that cloud comes rolling in and blocks my relationship. And that's why he said, Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you confessed and are saved. If there is no sign <laughs> that something has changed in me, then I got to ask myself the question, then have I really made a change? Or have I just said, I added something to my life? Added a day that I go to a church or a couple hours or do this. It means there's change. Now, guys, I will be constantly changing for the rest of my life. That's, that's never going to stop until I'm in heaven someday. All right? I mean, the struggle with sin, all that is always real. Hopefully, the longer you're living with Christ, it's not as big of a deal. I truly remember, man, thinking right at the beginning, ah, this is going to be great. I'm just going to ease in. Dude, I, it's, it's still not over. I got to still say, oh, we haven't got to the deep chapters yet on you. And then when I come to those places, then I have to confess again, repent again, turn again, have faith in God again. It's not that I lose my salvation, guys. I just have to make things sure things are good between God and I. Guys, we are the signpost. We're the signpost today. We're the John, Baptist, John the Baptist of today. We're calling people. We're pointing people to the Savior. There was something about John that drew people to him. He was saying stuff differently. It's got to be the same today. There needs to be something different about us than everybody else in the world. If they can't tell the difference, then something's wrong. If we blended so much into the culture rather than being counterculture, if we're not standing up for the truth and saying, yeah, that's what the world says, but this is what the truth is, 
And some people, that's why what Jude talks about, some people need to be one to the Lord with a kind word, while others need to be told that their very garments are going to burn in hell. You've got to know the difference of who you're talking with, obviously. But we're the signposts. Are we like John where we love God above being liked by man? Because if you can say, I'm more concerned, you know, and I said this often, I said, guys, I'm not worried about you judging me because there's only one judge that I got to stand before. Now, do I want people to like me? Sure. But not at the expense of what God thinks of me. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. God, my wife, I can go down the order, all right? My kids, my grandkids, you are somewhere in here, right, in that list of what God thinks. John fulfilled his purpose, his call in his life. Are you fulfilling yours? Because like John, we have a certain reason that we're here, that God saved us. Are we doing that which God has called us to do? Father in heaven, I thank you for today. Again, I thank you that you got us dressed, got us here, so you're not done with us yet. Help us take advantage of that. Help us take advantage of that where we work, where we live, in our marriages, at our schools. Father, help us see that we're to be a signpost. We're supposed to be pointing people to the Messiah. There should be something different about us. May we live that way. May we live out the purpose that you've called us to, I pray. And may we not be concerned about what man thinks, but what you think. I pray this in Jesus' name.